Well, good morning. All right. Let me, uh, we're going to do things a little bit differently today. So we're going to try, try the whole technology thing, which is scary. Um, but anyway, hey, Happy New Year to you. Glad you guys made it out. I know some of you did not go to sleep early last night, as my wife and I typically do, but you stayed up, maybe very late, and so you might be um, very tired right now. And I'm glad you came anyway. I really am. And also, some of you came with small children. My, my, you're so brave. You're so brave. And I'm glad you're here, too. And just want to say, listen, uh, we know there's kids here. Don't worry about it, okay? If they get a little uh, rowdy, it's okay. It's all right. So uh, I plan for it. I'm not going to ask you to turn in your Bibles today. We're going to do something a little bit differently this morning. We're not going to be in Peter, but I'm going to call this more of a training session, a training session. And uh, it's going to be short, okay? And I know I've said that so many times before, but I'm serious. I'm serious. And uh, and if I go too long, you know, just pinch your kid and I'll know because he'll start crying and, and I'll know that's the time to stop. Kidding, I'm kidding, don't do that. That's not nice. Anyway, glad you're here this morning. Um, so we're going we're gonna to look at the screen here in a moment, but I just wanted to say a few things intro-wise to you. I was reading an article recently and it was titled, uh, No Longer Mayberry, A Small Ohio City Fights an Epidemic of Self-Destruction. The article is generally about these small rural towns across uh, the great United States that at one time were, you know, mulberries, that idea of that sweet little town, everything's wonderful, but there's something happening in these small towns, and it's not good. It goes on to say that last year, overall life expectancy in the United States fell for the first time since 1993 when HIV was rampant. It fell, life expectancy in the United States. Why? Well, it goes on to say today there is no emergent virus running amok. Instead, Americans are dying from a rash of pathologies, sicknesses, and addictions that experts call, quote, diseases of despair. Diseases of despair. Goes on to say in a year-long series, the Washington Post has explored a complex epidemic that combines an oversupply of addictive prescription drugs with a dismaying demand for them among people struggling with pain and hopelessness. Pain and hopelessness. And anyway, I know the kids are in here, so I'm uh, going to be selective in what I say, but these rural towns are basically uh, being exposed to prescription medication, and then when that's not enough, or they're also being introduced to other things, other types of more serious and illegal drugs, and it's wiping out towns. So not only is it destroying them, but it's also killing people. And that is the reason for the, the expectancy or the lifetime expectancy of the United States to have dropped. But beloved, the, the key to the, the article was there's hopelessness among people. There's hopelessness. They have no hope, okay? They have no hope, and so they turn to something to try to drown the pain, to try to kill the pain. I guarantee you a lot of people did that last night. Just one big pain-killing session that they're still recovering from this morning. But beloved, we have hope. We have the person who is hope. We have the answer to this problem. Yes or no? We have it. If we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have it. And we, we have that treasure. And we're not to keep it to ourselves, but to unleash it upon a dying world. So, you know, our, our motto is making and multiplying cross-centered disciples, right? Some of Bible Church, that's in our logo. I don't want us to ever forget that, so I just want to remind us again, it's the one thing that we must never lose sight of, that we must keep our passion for. Listen, there are many things that we can do as a church, but if we don't do that, if we are not about that, if that doesn't characterize us, then we have lost our way. We've lost our way. So I want us to I want to encourage all of us to stay on track and as we step into this new year to remember this is what we are to be about. The making and multiplying of cross-centered disciples and that begins with leading them to Jesus Christ. Sharing the Lord with them. Speaking into these hopeless lives and bringing hope found in the gospel. Yes? Yes. 
You know, we're in Peter, right? We've been in Peter. We're moving through the book. Maybe you remember it says in there that we have been set apart by God in order to proclaim his excellencies. First Peter 2, 9. We've been set apart by him. We've been chosen by him not to sit on what we have, but to sing the praises of the one who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And not just among ourselves, beloved. Yes, 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 sing those praises like we did this morning. But among the nations we are to sing out. That they might ask, who is this one you sing of? I am so glad you asked. Let me tell you about him. To that end, as far as maintaining or staying the course concerning our, our, our motto, our, our goal, our logo, for goodness sake. This morning, what I want to do is share one good method. There are many, but here is one good method for sharing the gospel with your friends, with your family, with your co-workers, with your neighbors with those who you befriend in order that one day you might be able to share the gospel with them, okay? And beloved, I would say this. Maybe you shared or tried to talk to your family or friends. How about this? Here's a good resolution, but one you should keep. Say, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to make another effort in 2017 to make Christ known. And so when I talk to people about that or Christians, sometimes they feel inadequate in doing that, in sharing Christ, or in making him known. They don't know exactly how to do it. So that's what I want to, in a very short time, show you how to do this morning. Just one tool that you may not be aware of. Maybe you are. So this is going to be training, a 20-minute or so training course. And, uh, and let me say this. You don't need an extensive course to share the gospel. Some people are waiting, like, I need, I need to learn how to be an evangelist. Courses are helpful, but you don't need to wait to take a long 20-week course or 7-week course to share your faith. I'm going to show you this morning a tool. You'll be able to walk out of here and use it. In 20 minutes, I'm going to teach you how to do it. I keep saying that, 20 minutes. You notice that? So like 5 minutes later, I'll say 20 minutes. But, um. And by the way, here's something I want to tell you up front. I've said this before. In sharing your faith, you don't have to... You don't have to, what keeps people back many times is they're afraid that they won't be able to answer questions that people ask them about the Bible. Guess what? You won't be able to answer all their questions. I still get stuck. It's okay. You don't have to answer all their questions about that. You don't have to come in knowing everything there is to know about the Bible. If that was the case, it would take you, it would take you forever before you ever shared your faith. Don't worry about that. You'll grow as you share your faith and you are challenged with questions, but don't worry about that. Don't worry about knowing everything. Don't worry about being able to explain all the deep, rich truths of the scriptures. Those are good. Those are important. You should grow in those areas. But you don't need to know that before you tell someone about that hope that we have as believers. And they need, because they're in such great despair. And here's the other thing. For many people, you've got to just know this right up front. When you share your faith with them, when you share Jesus Christ they will think it's dumb. Okay? You know how I know that? Because the Bible tells us that. The Bible says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, 1 Corinthians 1.18. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's folly. Another translation puts it this way. The message of the cross seems foolish to those who are lost and dying, but it is God's power to those of us who are being saved. Okay? And so it will sound like foolishness to many, to many. But to those who hearts, whose hearts and minds have been readied by God to receive it, it will be the sweetest and best news they have ever heard, and they will respond to it in saving faith. You with me? So you'll share it, and people will think it's foolish. You should expect that. But the way I look at that is I'm planting a seed so that at some time I'll pray and hope that God opens their hearts and their minds and prepares them to receive the seed that I have planted. And then maybe God would save them through that. People will think you're foolish for believing in Christ. You got to get over that. Be a fool for Christ. One writer said, 
Evangelism is simply this. You could, you could boil it all down to this. It's taking the initiative to share Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. You take the initiative. You initiate these conversations. You initiate these relationships. You look to speak into people's lives for those opportunities, which takes work, which takes effort. And you share Christ, relying and trusting on the Holy Spirit, praying to Him that He would open their eyes and their minds to the truth that you are sharing. And then you leave the results to God because it is a God thing. God must save, but He saves through us as instruments as we bring His Word to bear on their hearts and minds. Right? Take the initiative to share Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, not our own, and leave the results to God. Let that be your 2017 goal. And forevermore, as long as God leaves you on this planet. Okay, so, here we go. Alright, so here's our website. This is... It, it, this is a welcome. This is where you click on the, the welcome part. And you'll have these options. Home, who we are, I'm new, pastor's welcome video, the good news. There it is, the good news. So my thinking is this. I'm going to teach you. You could literally take someone right to this. I've done it. I have done this very thing. So I'm not, this is not theory for me. I have gone online with someone in their house and walked them through this. You could also do it with someone in another state. They could get online. They could look at it. And you could go through it with them. You could also get to the place where you don't need this tool because basically the idea is that you could just kind of use your own words, but you keep this outline in your mind that helps you if you're in a restaurant or if you're at someone's house, you don't have internet access, you could just begin to share with them, okay? But right now, without having to worry about any of that, let's use the internet. Because it's prolific, it's everywhere, you have access everywhere. So use it, it's a great tool, thank God for it. So here it is, click the good news, okay? There's this little paragraph that I put in, because this is designed for like people who are just visiting our website. I'm hoping to draw them to, that they would click on one of these links down here. One of them is called Two Ways to Live, and the other one is Presentation for Kids. I'm not going to go through that today. I thought about it, but there's just not enough time. Here's what I'm going to suggest you do, Mom and Dad. If you have a kid who's old enough, I'm not going to pick that age because it's different for everyone, could understand some of these things. Take them, try it with them. Take them through the presentation for kids. It's an entirely different presentation, same outline, but it's in their kind of language. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. A presentation for kids. I don't know how to share the gospel with my kids. Okay, try this. Believe me, this thing is awesome. Fantastic. But we're going to use the adult one. All right? So two ways to live. We click on it. And, hey, sweetie, it's okay. So here's the message. And I'm going to read it to you in case you can't see it. And we're just going to go through it. And I'm going to do some running commentary as we move through it. And hopefully you'll take some notes. And uh, the idea is I want you to be able to walk out of here ready to use this tool and maybe excited about using it. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, you're going to hear the gospel right now. And then my hope is you would respond to it in saving faith. Okay? So, it says this. The message at the heart of Christianity is really quite simple. It is simple. At the heart, it's simple. It's not hard, complex. Simple enough to be outlined in a few pages. It's a message from the Bible about God and His Son, Jesus. It's about life and death and the choice that we all face. So, the title, Two Ways to Live, the choice we all face. We all have, every human being has two ways to live. Really, just two, as far as the way God sees it. Just two. So you can continue with the presentation, and this is so neat. You can view this presentation in Chinese, in Croatian, in French, and German. So, don't let that be a barrier either, even... Spanish. Okay? So you, hey, I say Spanish because we have a lot of Spanish-speaking friends, family, relatives. There it is right there in their native tongue. This is a fantastic tool. Here it is. So we're going to continue with the presentation. So basically it's six slides, and there's pictures. So the idea is you could sit down with someone and, and you could draw the pictures out to illustrate these truths. So the first one is God is, you can see there's a, a crown, there's a people, and there's the earth. That's all that is. Person on the earth, the crown over the earth and the people. So God is the loving ruler of the world. He made the world. He made us rulers of the world under him. Okay? I'm going to read this slide, then I'll make some comments. So the first point of the Christian message is that God is in charge of the world. He is the ruler, the supreme president, the king Unlike human rulers, however, God always does what is best for his subjects. 
He's the kind of king you like to be ruled by. God rules the world because he made the world. Like a potter with his clay, God fashioned the world into just the shape he wished with all its amazing details. He made it, and he owns it. He also made us, all right? Got it so far. God made the world. God made the people on the world. He made it all, right? He created it. So God created people who were something like himself and put them in charge of the world to rule it, to take care of it, to be responsible for it, and to enjoy all its beauty and goodness. He appointed humanity to supervise and look after the world, but always under his own authority. Don't miss that. Honoring him and obeying his directions. You can see this represented in the illustration above. God is the ruler. That's the crown. He's the king, ultimate. And humanity is created to live in and rule under God's world, or rule God's world under God's loving authority, under him, in submission to him. It all sounds rather ideal. God in heaven, people ruling the world according to his directions, and everything right with the world, but everything is very obviously not right with us or the world. So as I read this as someone, this is where I might say, would you agree with that, that, ever, that things are not right, there's something wrong with the world? And generally, almost always, you'll get, yeah, things are not right. It's obvious, right? I mean, you'd have, to, you'd have to just deny the reality of what you see all around you. Things are not right. Things are not right with us. Things are not right with the world. But listen, here's what this tool does, the reason I like it. It does not assume that the person you're speaking to has a Christian background. Because the reality is, in the great United States of America, many, many, many people do not have a Christian background. That is not the case anymore. That may have been true at one time. They may have grown up in a Sunday school class. Okay? They had some knowledge, basic knowledge. There's God. He's creator. This is his world. We were made by him. They know something about Jesus. They may not follow Jesus, but they had knowledge of the scriptures to one degree or another. Beloved, not the case anymore. The United States of America is a mission field. We're stepping into, we're talking to people who know nothing of, really, of the God of the Bible. They may know of some God, but not the God of the Bible, not the scriptures, not the book of Genesis, and certainly not the truth of Jesus Christ. They may know something of him, or have heard him, or use his name in a cursing way, but they don't know him. They don't have information about him, right? So, I like this tool because it starts at the beginning. It takes them back to the beginning. And so, in other words, it doesn't begin with the cross. It doesn't start off with, Jesus loves you, and he died for you, and you need to give your life to him. Okay, that's true, but who's this Jesus guy? And what's this have to do with anything? It goes all the way back to the beginning, which is the creator and the creation. Nice. So... Listen, under, this is why so many people, I believe, are confused because understanding what the Bible says about the Creator and His creation answers questions like, why we exist? It answers that question. People don't know because they don't know the Scriptures. It answers the question about what our purpose is. You don't have to go find yourself or wander into some spiritual journey. I'll tell you what your purpose is. It's to serve Almighty God who made you, who owns you. That's your purpose as a human being, to render yourself unto the king. Who's the king? God, creator. And of course, with all the introduction of, you know, science and evolution, they've removed these truths from our, from our younger generations. And so they're growing up thinking they're here because of some cosmic accident. They have no purpose. But they do. God has given them one. Their purpose is found in God. Because he has created them to serve under them, to serve under him, to serve him and rule over this world. Okay? Now, it gives a passage, right? Right there. You, you wouldn't even, you could use your scriptures, but it gives a portion of a passage right there. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. In support of what it just said. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. But there are other passages you could go to, right? How about Genesis 1.1? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning. God created, what is it? First verse of the Bible. You get that out. You don't get that right? You don't get anything right. It starts right there. God is creator. And God has created you. Therefore, you are accountable to him. You're living your life your way. You're to live your life the way God has 
commanded you to and told you to. Anyway, Genesis 1-1 and Revelation 4-11. So we see this and we go, okay, so we know the world. Maybe that's how it started, but that is, things are messed up now. Why? Okay, why? So you click next. This is, see, easy. You take people through it. So we all reject the ruler, God. So now you see, look at this picture. Here's, we were on the earth. We were supposed to be subduing the earth and, and ruling over it under God, under his rule. But what do you see here? We crossed out the king. Instead, we put a crown over our own heads. We want to be king. We want to be sovereign. This is sin. This is rebellion. So we reject God's rightful rule over us, and we determine to, be, to rule ourselves, which is foolishness. So we all reject the ruler God by trying to run life our own way without him, but we fail to rule ourselves or society or the world. You know why the world's in a mess? Because we've rejected the creator of the world, generally speaking, the population, the globe. You reject the one who created things and said this is how things work and this is how they function. No wonder things are messed up. So the sad truth is that from the very beginning, men and women everywhere have rejected God by doing things their own way. I guarantee you heard a you know, Sinatra song if you watch anything, you know, over the New Year's, and did it my way, right? My way. So, so yeah, blah, 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 you did it your way. Fantastic. We're called to do it God's way, but the globe is doing it their own way. They've run amok. They've left the ruler and the king, and they're trying to take to themselves something that was never to be theirs. Sovereignty. Kingship. Because of sin. Ah. Oh. We all do this, I'm reading again, we don't like someone telling us what to do or how to live. You see, the little ones are in here, right? Mom and dad, you know this is true. You see it at a very young age. And then they grow up and become adults and have other ways of manifesting this rebellion. So we rebel against him in lots of different ways. We ignore him and just get on with our own lives or we disobey his instructions for living in his world. Or we shake our puny fist in his face and tell him to get lost. However we do it, we are all rebels because we don't live God's way. We prefer to follow our own desires and to run things our own way without God. This rebellious, self-sufficient attitude is what the Bible calls sin. The trouble is in rejecting God, we make a mess not only of our own lives, as we've seen, but of our society and the world. The whole world is full of people bent on doing what suits them and not following God's way. We all act like little gods with our own crowns, competing with one another. I'm sovereign. No, you're sovereign. And I could spend an hour right now just talking to you about this is the, this is the problem with marriages. we got two people trying to be sovereign. Instead of surrendering themselves to the one who is. The result is misery. The suffering and injustice that we see around us all go back to our basic rebellion against God. By rebelling against God, we've made a terrible mess of things. The question is, what will God do about it? Okay? So, uh, the passage it has, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. If you're taking notes, you could also, and it talks about that, you know, this rebellion began, and we've been living with this rebellion from the beginning, you could go back to Genesis 2, 15 through 17. I won't read it. This takes us back to the account in the garden where the rebellion began, our first parents. Genesis 3, 1 through 6, you can see it there, given specific instructions. This is how you are to live in the world that I have given you to subdue and live over and rule over and have dominion over. This is how you are to live, and what do they do? They rebel. They rebel, and that rebellion has continued throughout humanity to this day. Uh... Romans 3.10.12, they have. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. A familiar passage to you, no doubt. Okay? So, rebellion manifested itself in the garden. Uh, this, by the way, let me say this. This rebellion, when you think about rebellion, it does not only manifest itself in only things that we are all likely to agree are not good or, or that are evil. It doesn't just manifest itself in that way. This rebellion also manifests itself in things that our society might call good. Uh, and right now what I'm thinking about specifically is religion. 
or religions, false ones, or spirituality. I've, no doubt you've heard this. I'm not a religious person, person, but I'm a spiritual person. Which basically means I reject Jesus Christ. They, they may not say it that way, or I reject the God of the Bible. That's really what's going on. It allows them to say, I'm spiritual, I'm, I'm a worshiper of what? Of the God of the Bible? If you're a worshiper of the God of the Bible, then you surrender yourself to him and to his son. And live for him. But if you, you, you have this thing, I'm spiritual, it's just another way of manifesting one's rebellion against the God that created them. And so are all the other false religions. All the religions that deny the truth about Jesus Christ. People say, those things are good, you know, religion. It helps the world act better. And sends them to hell. And continue, and it continues people in their rebellion against the one true God. God's not happy about a religious person who rejects him because they created their own God of their own imagination, rejects his son, but does, quote, good works. That doesn't please him. They're still rejecting him. It's just another way to get at it. So you got the murderer, and you got the person that goes to his false church every Sunday, both in rebellion. You with me? Lots of people like that, living around you and your family. All right, so what will God do about this rebellion? What will he do? Next slide. Okay, so here now you've got the king again, right? You can deny the king all you want, but the king still rules. Okay? So God won't let us rebel forever. God's punishment for rebellion is death and judgment. This is, this is the bad news of the gospel before we get to the good news. God's going to deal with it. So why doesn't God do something? He is going to do something according to his own timetable, not yours, friend. Not yours. You don't get to make the decisions about when judgment gets carried out. I'm glad you don't, because if you want to do something right now, then there'd be many people that go to hell. I'm glad he's patient. I'm glad he's waiting. But he will not wait forever. So, God cares enough about humanity to take our rebellion seriously. He calls us to account for our actions. I literally read this with the person. And then they, I go, do you have questions? At each one I say, do you have questions? And then we try to deal with those questions. Do you, do you, at some point, if you don't want to hear this anymore, that's fine too. Like you go, you, you don't believe any of this? Okay, we can stop. I'm not going to, maybe we'll come back at another time, but I'd love to go through the whole thing with you. That's kind of the, the technique here. So, so, he calls us to account for our actions because it matters to him that we treat him and other people so poorly. In other words, he won't let the rebellion go on forever. The sentence God passes against us is entirely just because he gives us exactly what we ask for. Listen, in rebelling against God, we are saying to him, go away. I don't want you telling me what to do. Leave me alone. That is what we're saying. So whether it manifests itself in a religious person who's rejected the one true God of the Bible or in a non-religious person who's living a radically evil life. Either way, both are the same. I don't want you telling me what to do. So I'll create my own little religion or I'll just reject everything and I will be the captain of my own ship and rule my life the way I want to rule it. But don't you dare tell me what to do. It's just rebellion, pure and simple. Sin. And this, he goes on, I don't want you telling me what to do, leave me alone. And this is precisely what God does. His judgment on rebels, listen, is to withdraw from them, to cut them off from himself permanently. That's his ultimate judgment. But since God is the source of life and all good things, being cut off from him means death and hell. God's judgment against rebels is an everlasting, godless death. Just let that sit on your mind for a second, a godless death. No God. You don't want me, you'll forever be separated from me. Rebel. That is the ultimate judgment. And that is a terrible thing. To fall under the sentence of God's judgment. It's the prospect we all face since we are all guilty of rebelling against God. Is that it then? Are we destined for death and everlasting ruin? If not for God's own miraculous intervention, we would be. Okay? We would be. So here, I want to get agreement with the person that we are guilty of rebelling against God. 
Okay, There's no point in going further if, if they don't agree that they too are guilty of rebelling against God. Then they're in denial or confused or lying to themselves or to me or whoever else. Do you agree that we've lived in rebe- you've lived in rebellion against God? Well, I don't know what you mean by that. I try to be a good person. Okay, have you lied? Have you stolen? Have you cheated? Have you lusted? Have you hated? Have you envied? Have you slandered? Have you been unfaithful to your spouse? Have you aborted a child? Have you been unloving to your neighbor or fellow man? Huh? Have you ever done that? Have you lived your life for God, the God of the Bible? Have you? Because if you haven't, then you've been living in rebellion. Or do you live for yourself? These are the kind of questions I might ask, diagnostic questions, if I need to help draw someone out to help them see they're a rebel. Have you loved the one true God with all your heart, mind, and soul? Have you? So you haven't stolen, which I usually take issue with that as well, because people steal in all kinds of a variety of ways, right? Not just walking into a liquor store and holding it up, but they steal from their employers and so on and so forth. Many ways, steal from the government, steal, steal, steal. Steal from their spouse in a variety of ways. See, people steal. Give me a break. You're a rebel, friend. (laughs) Brother, sister, mother, father. Come on, you can't see that. So, we are deserving of this sentence, ultimately, to be separated from God. We have rejected him, told him, we don't want you ruling over our lives. And God says, I will give you exactly what you want as your ultimate punishment. That is what will occur. I will separate you from ever in a place called hell. That's what the Bible teaches. So it says God's justice sounds hard, but, and this is the good news. This is, woo! So for three slides of setting you up and telling you this is how we got here. This is our human condition. We're in trouble. But there's good news. God has not left us to ourselves to just be cast away from him. If he did, if he did nothing, if he did not intervene, that's exactly what would happen. Because of sin, we are born into this rebellion. We, Like I said, you don't have to teach a child how to rebel. They just do. And they grow up and get better at it and more terrible at it. So, slide four. Because of his love, God sent his son into the world, the man Jesus Christ. Jesus always lived under God's rule. So here it shows that little guy is Jesus. You see? His hand's out like this. I'm not sure what that means. I don't know if he's saying, come unto me, you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, maybe. Maybe it's him on the cross. It doesn't really matter. But that's Jesus, see? Because there's J right next to it. See that? That's how I know. And you see, there he is. He's, he came to the earth, right? Here's the story. Here's Christmas that we just celebrated. Jesus always lived under God's rule. Jesus was not a rebel. Jesus lived perfectly, righteously. He was sinless. All of these things that we know from the scriptures, but here kind of all put into one little package, one slide. Yet, by dying in our place, he took our punishment and brought forgiveness. So the slide goes on. Because of his great love and generosity, God did not leave us to suffer the consequences of our foolish rebellion. Thank you, God. He did something to save us. Thank you, God. He sent his own divine son into our world to become a man, Jesus of Nazareth. Unlike us, Jesus didn't rebel against God. He always lived under God's rule. He always did what God said. And so did not deserve death or punishment. Yet, Jesus did die. He did. Although he had the power of God to heal the sick, walk on water, and even raise the dead, Jesus allowed himself to be executed on a cross. Why? The Bible rings with the incredible news that Jesus died as a substitute for rebels like us. The debt that we owe God, Jesus paid by dying in our place. He took the full force of God's justice on himself so that forgiveness and pardon might be available to us. All this is quite undeserved by us. It is a generous gift from start to finish. Beloved, that slide is in a sense speaking about what the message was on the Christmas message that we did a few weeks ago, which is the gift of God's forgiveness, undeserved by us. And if you want a technological or a theological term, it's speaking of substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement. But you don't need to tell this person, or you don't even, if you don't never even heard that term, which if you've been coming to some, you've heard it. But if you don't know or you don't know how to define it, it's right here. So you don't have to know the term, you don't have to know the theological term, but you can explain what happened. Christ died in the place of sinners, taking the wrath that they deserved upon himself, that they might be forgiven in him for all those who render themselves unto him and cry out to him and 
come to him and, and find salvation in him and follow him. That substitutionary atonement, that's what makes it possible for rebels to be forgiven and to be reconciled and made right with God. That is what allows rebels to escape the wrath that they deserve, the punishment. That is it. It's Christ. It's Jesus. The perfect one, the, the man that did exactly what the first man should have done, which was lived under God and his rule and never rebelled against him. He is the perfect man. Okay. And you don't have to speak with all this enthusiasm either when you're talking to someone because you would scare them, no doubt. But, you know, up here it's a little different. So, but I don't, you know, I have done that. I have spoke passionately with people about this. But, you know, however you're wired. But share the truth. All right, so God, uh, number five, we're almost done. God raised Jesus to life again as the rule of the world. So now he's going to talk about basically... So we have his death, now we move to his resurrection, his ascension. Okay? Jesus has conquered death, now gives new life, and will return to judge. So also his second coming, his return to the earth. All of these things capture right here. So we're explaining the story. God accepted Jesus' death as payment in full for our sins, raised him from the dead. Then Jesus, this risen Jesus is now what humanity was always meant to be, God's ruler of the world. As God's ruler, Jesus has also been appointed God's judge of the world. The Bible promises that one day he will return to call all of us to account for our actions. In the meantime, Jesus offers us new life, both now and eternally. Now our sins can be forgiven through Jesus' death, and we can make a fresh start with God, no longer as rebels, but as friends. In this new life, God himself comes to live within us by his spirit. We can experience the joy of a new relationship with God. What's more, when we are pardoned through Jesus' death, we can be quite sure that when Jesus does return to judge, we will be acceptable to him. The risen Jesus will give us eternal life, not because we have earned it, but because he has died in our place. Well, where does that all leave us? It leaves us with a choice of only two ways to live. All right, just a few things. So, in the meantime, Jesus offers us new life both now and eternally, Right? So it's not just that he saved us from the wrath to come, but he's offered us new life, this new life now. Now. He's reconciled us and he's made us new creatures. We are those who have given their lives to Christ and are following him have become a new humanity. A new humanity. A redeemed humanity. A changed humanity. A humanity that's being transformed. So 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In Christ. So my friend, you're struggling with this and that, and it's sin. You need to be made new in Christ. You need this newness of creation in order to overcome the despair of this world and the hopelessness of this world. You will find it in Christ. Not only will you be saved from the wrath to come that you rightly deserve, but you will be transformed and God will begin to work in your life and he'll make it new again, new again. You get hope now, not sometime in the future, now hope that extends into eternity. It is the answer. Not another pill. Not another drug. Not another six-pack. This is the answer. And we have it. And we got to share it, beloved. If we don't share it, who will? Huh? If we don't share, who will? God has tasked us with this great responsibility and privilege. Oh, okay. So here's the two ways to live. We can live our way. Frank Sinatra. We can reject the ruler, God. We can try to run life our own way. Beloved, you know, I pray that for people, even in my own family, that are trying to run life their own way, I'm just praying that God, I, I pray that they will come to the end of that, where they will get tired. Where they're, they're so broken, so, like, I can't figure this out. Yeah, because you're, you're trying to do it your way. And God, in his mercy, does that. He brings people to the end of themselves. Beloved, the truth is we need, we need to be saved from ourselves. That's the truth. 
People try to run life their own way. It always leads to ruin and ultimately to eternal separation from God. We were not created or made to run our own lives. You hear me? We were not. We are not equipped. We were created to be dependent. Eternally dependent upon our Creator. So when we push back against that, we're going to have problems. Even as Christians. But certainly those who have never even embraced Him for the first time. Their life is just a manifestation of pushing back against their Creator and living life their own way. The result is condemned by God facing death and judgment. So that's, that, is, that is one way to live. There are only two. The other way is God's new way. Submit to Jesus as our ruler. Right? So you see the person. See the two ways. One is, I'm going to maintain my crown. My, my pseudo crown. Because you don't really have one. You're pretending to be a king. You're a false king. You're no king at all. You're not the captain of your own ship. The master of your destiny. You are nothing. You are a created being. You could be something in Christ. But apart from him, you're nothing. Life is found, purpose is found in God, in His Son. You want to be something? Find it in Christ. Find your fulfillment there, because that's the only place you'll find it. So you're over here with your dumb little crown, you know, false little crown with little beads falling out. Look at me, I do my own thing, and you're a mess. You're a mess. You know you're a mess. Or you're over here, and you don't have a crown, but Jesus wears that crown, and you submit to Him as ruler and king. You come under Him. Right? Result, forgiven by God and given eternal life. My goodness. Which way is better? Well, to the unbeliever who is still pursuing his wickedness or, and let me just say this, rebellion. Remember, wickedness can look good. It could be something that kind of looks good. His, his false religion. Okay? It doesn't have to be murder, shooting people. Okay? I think we kind of put that in the category. It could be grandma. Grandma could be pursuing her rebellion. Sweet old grandma. Because she will not render her life unto the Lord Jesus Christ. She will not come under his rule. She may even be moral externally, but her heart is not given to the Lord. She's living in rebellion. Okay, So that's one way we can live, or we can come under here and live under the Lord. So we can continue in our rebellion, I'll read it against God, and try to run our lives our own way without him. Sadly, this is the option that many people persist in. The end result is that God gives us what we ask for and deserve. He condemns us for our rejection of his rightful rule over our lives. We not only have to put up with the messy consequences of rejecting God here and now, which are, we can see that, but we face the dreadful prospect of an eternity of separation from him without life or love or relationship. For those of us who have realized that our situation is hopeless, there is a lifeline. If we turn back to God and appeal for mercy, trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection, then everything changes. For a start, God wipes our slate clean. Remember we talked about that? The gift of God's forgiveness, debt-free in the area of sin. Slate is wiped clean in Christ. He accepts Jesus' death as payment for our sins and freely and completely forgives us. Past, present, future, all of it. Gone, wiped out. He pours his own spirit into our hearts, that's the Holy Spirit, and grants us new life that stretches past death and into forever, into eternity. We are no longer rebels, but part of God's own family as his adopted sons and daughters. With that comes an inheritance, and so on and so forth, the inheritance of God. We now live with Jesus as our ruler, describing a Christian. The two ways to live could not be more different, and they present to you, the reader, with some choices. Okay? So, uh, one of the phrases in there says, he condemns us for our rejection of his rightful rule over our lives. Rightful rule. It's just helping people see God has a right to rule over your life. Why? He's creator. He created you. He has a right. For you to reject that right is foolishness. It's to live in rebellion against him. And like I said, that's manifest in all kinds of ways. So there's just two ways to live. There's not multiple ways to live, ultimately, not scripturally. You either live in rebellion against God, or you live in submission to him and to the Son, Jesus Christ, the King of the world. And by the way, I'm trying to find here. Um, you can write these down. Slide 5 talked about Jesus being made ruler. 
Uh, you can look at uh, John 5, 22 through 24. You can look at Acts 10, 37 through 43. You can look at Acts 17, 30 through 31. Every single one of those passages is they're proclaiming the truth of the gospel. The narratives there found in Acts. Christ has ascended. They're telling them the truth. All of them have something in common. He is the judge. God has given the Father all judgment into his hands. And he is coming back to judge. He came the first time to bring salvation. The next time he brings his judgment. He's king. Surrender to him now and you will not be condemned. Continue to rebel. And you will remain under the wrath of God and experience it in full when the king returns. There's only two ways to live. Stop rebelling. If you're here today, maybe you're living in rebellion right now. Maybe right now you're living in rebellion. So what are you going to do? What choice are you going to make? By the way, Tim said this many times in the pulpit, to, to not make a choice is to make a choice. If you don't choose Christ, if you don't come to Him and surrender to Him, you are making the choice to continue in your rebellion. Alright, and these next ones I'm not going to read, but basically what he does is he I'm going to read them. I'm just going to read them with no comment. Okay, here we go. So, the first question you must ask yourself is, which way do I want to live? I want you to hear this. See how easy this tool is. If your answer to the question above is my own way, then you probably don't believe some or all of the message we have been outlining. Right? If the person at this point says, I don't want to do this, then you don't believe it. So they suggest, perhaps you do not believe that God is going to judge rebels, or that you really are a rebel. Both are true, right? Like gravity. It doesn't matter if you reject it as being true. It's true. And it will have its impact and its way with you. If that is the case, then please think carefully. It would be a good idea to investigate thoroughly the claims that have been made here. Because if they are true, the, conse they are, the consequences are life and death. This is no small matter. This is the most important matter you could deal with. I've heard people say, see I'm making comments, but I've heard people say, you know, the most important day of my life was the day I got married. Or the most important day of my life is the day my child came into the world. Oh my goodness, those are very important days. But there is no more important day than the day that you come to Jesus Christ and bow your knee to Him and give your life to Him and find in Him salvation. There is no more important day. And until you've had that day, you have not had the most important day of your life. So he suggests getting a modern translation, maybe reading the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. Good place to start. Maybe reading the Gospel of John. That's been suggested as well. So that's what I would do with someone. If they're not ready, I've planted a seed. How about you, here's a Bible, you don't have one, let me give you one. Why don't you read this gospel? Why don't you read this story about Christ? And maybe we could talk afterwards if you have questions, right? This is what we do. This is what we are to do as the body of Christ. This is how we make Christ known, proclaim his excellency, share the good news. Planting seeds, planting seeds, praying, God, bring growth, bring growth, bring growth, watering, watering, God, bring growth, because only he can. But we plant, we water, we plant, we water. And then only God can prepare the soil to receive it. However, if you know that you're a rebel against God and would prefer to live this and would prefer to live this way, the next obvious question is what if you know that you're a rebel against God and would prefer to live his way, his way, not this way. Oops. If you would prefer to live God's way, then what do you do? And so he just goes through this. How about you start with talking to God? And again, they're not saying that this prayer saves you. They're saying, listen, maybe you could pray something like this. The first thing to do is talk to him. You need to admit it before him that you rebelled against him, that you deserve punishment, that you're asking for mercy on the basis of Jesus' death in your place. You'll also need to ask God to help you change from being a rebel to being someone who lives with Jesus as their ruler. And then he says, you could pray something like this. This prayer doesn't save you, but this is something, if, you, if this is earnest in your heart, you desire these things, you can say, dear God, I know that I am not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I am guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me that I may live with Jesus as my ruler. And that prayer, pray sincerely, okay, is, would be a reflection or uh, a manifestation of one whose heart is receiving of the Lord and his rulership over their lives. And the Bible says, if you call upon him, you will be saved. You call upon him in saving faith, you will be saved. Okay? That's the first step. Pray. And it talks about submit to Jesus. Right? So you want to continue. You're submitting to him. You begin by coming under him. Now you're, you have to, to develop this new life pattern. Right? And then finally, not that, this. 
Keep trusting. The third thing you have to do is also ongoing. You need to keep putting your heart in the right place. It's only because of Jesus and his death and resurrection that you can be forgiven and put right with God. You'll need to keep coming back to this again and again. Because as you start to live God's new way, you will still fall, fail, and do the wrong thing. We all do. We all need to keep looking back to the death of Jesus on the cross as the only grounds for our pardon. We must never stop relying on him and him alone. This is why our motto says we are to make and multiply cross-centered disciples. We continue to rely on him, continue to look to him, continue to trust in him. It's not a one-time thing. You continue the rest of your life. You find your salvation in him and him alone. As the means by which we are forgiven and granted eternal life. If you know full well that you have not taken these steps and that you are still an unforgiven rebel, then you need to do something about it. You are a fork in the road. It's a choice, choice that we all face. There are only two ways to live. There are only two ways to live, beloved. There's only two ways to live. Okay? Many of you have chosen this way of rendering your life unto Jesus, but many of your family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, and those around you are still living in rebellion to God. They may be nice people, okay? Outwardly nice. They may do nice things. They may not be so nice. Whatever. But either way, still in rebellion against God. We have the answer for them. We have the solution to their problem. We've got to tell them. If we don't do it, who will? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the service and for this time. And Father, just hoping that we can kind of set the year right in our minds. Father, you have called us to proclaim your excellencies to a lost and dying world. To proclaim you who has called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light through your beloved son, Jesus Christ, who has, who has purchased for us redemption, salvation. Father, help us. We are weak. We are weak. And we are scared little chickens sometimes, many times. Father, make us bold lions for you. Help us not to be afraid of looking like a fool for your sake. Help us to make Christ known. Help that to be what characterizes our lives, Father. Work in us, convict us. And, and may we take baby steps even, using great tools like this that have been provided by your people. Father, beginning there maybe to make you known. And Father, might you continue to do your blessed work of drawing sinners unto yourself. And even now, Lord, we think of our family and friends that are unsaved and we pray for their salvation. But may we be one of the instruments you use to make salvation known to them, to make Christ known. And if we've done it already, Father, help us to be bold and do it again. Praying and trusting in you. Taking the initiative to share Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to you. We pray all this in Christ's name, our King's name. Amen.